Hello, I'm Elder Greg Newman, and I want to welcome you to New Hope Fellowship Online. I want to thank you for tuning into this message. I hope and pray that it helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and challenges you to study God's Word. If you'd like more information on who we are as a church, you are invited to nhfchurch.org. If you're interested in partnering with us financially to help us continue to share the gospel with those around us, visit nhfchurch.org and click on Give. Again, I'm thankful that you are here listening, and I hope you enjoy this message. And New Hope, I hope this day finds you well, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to share a little bit this morning out of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, if anyone is here that doesn't know me, I'm Pastor Greg. I get the opportunity to come, uh, come up here every once in a while, give uh, give Pastor Nick a little bit of a uh, of a break, and share with you what, uh, what, what we believe God directionally would like uh, in terms of instruction for our congregation here at New Hope. So loved the worship this morning. Sometimes simple is great, isn't it? You know, I think, it's, I think of the great old hymns of our past, you know, especially um, uh, we were singing, uh, uh, let every heart prepare him room. You know, we sing that. We sing, he rules the world with truth and grace. What an opportunity for us that, um, you know, sometimes live in this secular world to interject our faith uh, just through simple things that find their way into department stores. You know, you hear, you hear Christmas songs playing and you're with a friend of yours that doesn't know the Lord and you hear this great Christmas song in their mouth and the words and you say, do you understand what it means to rule the world with truth and grace? What, what, what great, you know, what a great opportunity for us to lean into our faith, to look for those little opportunities this time where, where we're not, where the world itself will not create uh, the, the, the faith message, but it will give us openings for the faith message. And I love that what we're doing here this year <clears throat> prior to Christmas is that we're not doing what historically most churches do around Christmas. We we go and we do the story, you know, we do the three or four weeks leading up to the, to the birth of Jesus. And not that I'm against that. I think, that's, I think that's awesome, right? But I love that we're in this topic of faith because the child that was born in the major, that's a faith story, right? Yes, it's a, yes, it's a miracle, but if we don't embrace the faith that comes through the mechanisms that Jesus has provided for us to be in that relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we're missing the whole thing. And it's easy to miss stuff this time of the year, isn't it? It gets crazy. You know, we've got so many things to do. We're running all over the place. You guys, most of you know, we won't be able to, Tara and I will not be able to celebrate Christmas with you this year because we're going to be in Thailand. We leave for our trip on Wednesday to spend uh, Christmas uh, with, with our son Luke and his family, and so excited about that um, as well. So we'll miss, we'll miss the uh, New Hope Christmas experience. But I know that, um, that God has a message for us this morning, and we're going we're gonna to camp a couple weeks in Hebrews 11. You know, we've been going through the, the book of Hebrews, and uh, there's just too much here to try to cover in one week. So today, what I'm going to attempt to do is I'm going to attempt to cover more around what is faith. And then next week, Pastor Nick is going to lean into some of the characters that are, that are brought forth in, in Hebrews chapter 11. But you know, there's several chapters in the Bible that are famous, or they kind of stand out because of certain themes or topics which they address. For example, if I was to call out 1 Corinthians 13, what would you say? That is the... 
the love chapter, right? And how about Genesis 1, the story of creation? Exodus 20, what do we get out of Exodus 20? We get the Ten Commandments, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And Hebrews 11 is another one of these famous, what I'll call famous chapters. It's often called the faith chapter because it's an entire chapter that devotes itself to the topic of faith. It's a favorite passage for many, not only because it explains and describes what faith is, but also because it gives us many practical and concrete examples of the varied aspects of faith. We do not know exactly who wrote this chapter, do we? Because the book of Hebrews is the one book in the New Testament that has an anonymous author. But whoever the human author was, we know that these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that God is the ultimate author behind the book of Hebrews and Hebrews 11. Now, there are many excellent reasons to study this great chapter. One reason of this course, of course, is that it is the word of God. And it's always profitable to study God's word. A second reason to study Hebrews 11 is because it's all about faith. And faith is foundational to the Christian life. You cannot become a Christian without saving faith. You cannot live as a Christian without persevering faith. And you cannot grow as a Christian unless you are growing in faith. Now, faith is foundational to the Christian life. Unless you are growing in faith, you're dying. Faith is foundational. And a third reason to study this chapter is that Hebrews 11 not only teaches us many practical and important things about faith, but it also gives us a good overview of the entire Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews digs back into the Old Testament for biblical examples of the various aspects of faith. Remember, at this time, the Old Testament was the only Bible that anybody had. The New Testament was still being written. So if you wanted to find biblical examples of faith, then the Old Testament was the right place to go. Some of us are not as familiar with the Old Testament as we are with the New Testament. I would guess most Christians spend more time in the books of the New Testament than they do in the Old Testament, and that's okay. But the Old Testament books of law and the writings of the prophets is also very, very important. I hope you're reading the New Testament every day, but if you only read the New Testament and you never get around to reading the Old Testament, then you're missing a large part of God's revelation. And there are many parts of the New Testament that we can only fully understand if we know the Old Testament first. So if you're not as familiar with the Old Testament or you haven't read it in a while, Hebrews 11 is a great little introduction or review. It's kind of the Cliff Notes version of the Old Testament. And as we study through these examples in Hebrews 11, not only do you learn about faith, but you also get an overview from the beginning to the end of the whole Old Testament and some of the important people featured in the Old Testament. And so today, we continue in our study in Hebrews. We're in chapter 11. We will focus on growing in faith. Now, the disciples once said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase our faith. That's actually a pretty bold prayer. Lord, increase our faith. That's a good prayer. If you pray that, if you pray that prayer sincerely, you'll need to hold on tight. You'll need to hold on tight because the, the journey ahead will be filled with activity and it will be filled 
with learning and understanding. You know, we're all in different places in our spiritual walk and in our Christian uh, walk, and, and, and we all have different levels of Christian maturity. Some of you have been walking with the Lord a long, long time. Some of you are just getting started. Some of you are growing like weeds that grow in my garden. Some of you have kind of leveled off, or perhaps you've stopped growing altogether. Or perhaps you've been a Christian for some time now, but you've never really grown that much in your faith. And today, no matter where you are in your Christian walk, this chapter is for you. We all need to grow in our faith. So actually, I'm really excited about this series because um, there's just so much great, con- great content. And what I love in Hebrews 11 is that I believe it's the perfect chapter to lead us up to Christmas. I believe God is saying the time is right to ground our celebration of the birth of our Savior in a serious exploration of faith. And if God wants to speak to us about growing in our faith, then that means God must have something awesome in store for us because it is faith that activates God's power in our own personal lives and in the life of God's church. Just imagine if we take all the lessons of this chapter to heart, if we grow and we continue to to mature in our faith over the next few months, what wonderful things does God have planned for, uh, for you as a believer and for us as a congregation. What an incredible celebration. Nick just, I was like, well, what are we going to do next year? You know, the, Nick read the things that we have, have done as a church family this year, and we've done it through the grace of God, and we've done it as stepping out in faith. But as we continue to lean into this, what amazing things God may have in store for us, both individually and collectively as a body of Christ here at New Hope. So my prayer through the next couple of weeks is that we would have a deeper understanding of true biblical faith and that individually and as a church, we would also grow in our personal faith. Now, I want to begin, and um, th- that seemed like a long introduction, and I say now I want to begin. I'm already 10 minutes in. Um, it's, we're not going to be here all day, okay? So t- amen. Somebody say amen to that. But I would like to to progress into the next step of the sermon by just reading this chapter to you. Now, if you have your Bible and you want to read along, that's great. Uh, I specifically ask not to have the words on the screen because I want you to listen to this. I'm going to read it to you as if I'm reading you a story, and I want you to just soak it in because this is one chapter in Scripture that I believe that if we really just read it, attended to it, listened to it, and leaned into it, we could almost just read the chapter and put the book down and walk away, and we would have heard our sermon. Now, I'm not going to do that, but I want you to pay attention closely to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, 
though which he was commending as righteousness, through which he was commending as righteous, God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his households. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in fact, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that this child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured 
as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the first blood might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. I love that. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. I love that chapter. So we begin today, we're just going to look at two verses. We're going to look at verses one and two. And um, these two verses introduce the, the whole chapter to us, and they also provide us with what I'll call a working definition of faith. So we're going to take a, just a little bit of time to look at this definition this morning. We'll see what it means, and just as importantly, what it does not mean. It is important to understand that these verses correctly, uh, uh, because they, uh, it's, it's important to understand these verses correctly because they form the basis for all of the other verses that follow. So let's look at these two verses together. Verse one, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. That is our text. Verse one gives this two-part definition, right, of faith. One, being sure of what you hope for, two, being certain of what you do not see. And then verse two tells us why this definition is important in applying it to the lives of the Old Testament believers, because God commended them for their faith, and then I believe that also is an extension to us, that God also will commend us if we walk truly in our faith. So let's get started. Let's look at the first half of the two-part definition. First, faith is being sure of what you hope for. Let's talk about that, what that means a little bit. First of all, it's important to understand that the whole topic of faith is not some brand new topic that the writer of Hebrews just pulls out in chapter 11, right? He has previously addressed this topic uh, of faith back in chapter 4, in chapter 6, and in chapter 10. 
he will go on to say some more things about faith in chapters 12 and 13. However, most of the teaching of faith that takes place in the book of Hebrews takes place right here in chapter 11. The word faith appears 31 times in the book of Hebrews. 24 of those times are in chapter 11. Now, the most recent mention of faith before our chapter was found only a few verses back in Hebrews 10.38. Nick, I think you talked about this a little bit last week. Um, So let's look at that just to present a little bit of context for our present verse and chapter. First, a reminder about the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was originally written to Jews who had become Christians who were now undergoing severe persecution for their faith. The whole book of Hebrews looks at various aspects of the Old Testament and how they have been fulfilled in Christ. Chapter 10 that we were in last week speaks particularly of Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. The writer writer tells us about Christ's perfect sacrifice for sin, which fulfilled the law and by which we have been saved and made holy in God's sight. It is because of Christ's sacrifice that we have confidence to approach God by the blood of Jesus. He then urges his readers not to throw away their confidence, that is, not to let go of Christ and what Christ has done for them. They need to persevere. We need to persevere in our faith despite the persecution because Christ will return as he promised. Now, all of these things bring us, uh, in Hebrews 10, 38, a quote that's an important verse in the Old Testament from the book of Habakkuk, I've heard that pronounced a couple of different ways this week, by the way. I always say Habakkuk, but I've heard Habakkuk. I'd never heard that before. The righteous will live by faith. That's in Habakkuk or Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. This verse is central both to the Old and the New Testament. Paul quotes it in the book of Galatians, and he also quotes it in the book of Romans as a key verse supporting the doctrine of salvation by Christ, by faith in Christ alone. This was the verse actually that Martin Luther discovered that led him to rediscover the biblical doctrine of justification by faith, which actually launched the entire Reformation. The just will live by faith, the righteous will live by faith. Do you want to be justified? Do you want to be righteous in God's sight? If the answer to that question is yes, then you must live by faith. As we said earlier, all that we do in the Christian life comes from faith. You can't become a Christian without faith. And you can't live in the power of God as a believer without faith. Faith is not, it not only starts us on our journey on the way, but it undergirds all that we do as Christians. As Christians, we are heaven-bound, but we still live here on earth. We still struggle with the trials of sin and pain and everything that this world throws at us. We do not see the fullness of our salvation that will be completed in heaven one day. We can't really see that. We're kind of caught somewhere in between. We, we kind of understand, we know what it is, but we can't physically see it. Therefore, we must continue in faith, persevering to the end. So what that is, faith, Hebrews tells us, first of all, faith is being sure of what we hope for. The words being sure are, it's a single word in the Greek. It's a word that literally means that which goes underneath something which causes or makes it to stand. It is what we would call a foundation or a substructure. 
The stronger the foundation, the stronger the structure it supports. So faith is the foundation in your life that keeps your hope alive, that keeps your hope from being shaken when trials and, and tragedy comes your way. The stronger your faith, the stronger your hope, and the stronger your life. You know, if we lived in Florida and if we lived in a trailer and there was a hurricane coming, what do we do? We get out, right? <laughs> we get out. We need to evacuate. Why? Because we don't have the foundation, and therefore we have no confidence that the trailer is going to make it through the storm. But if you live in a home with a strong foundation, that foundation gives you confidence when the wind begins to blow. As parents, speak to the parents for a minute, parents and grandparents. Don't we pray that our children would have a strong foundation? Don't we see what happens in this world when, when people don't have a strong foundation, that our lives are, are, need to be built on that strong foundation? Steve Johnson, you could probably give examples from your, from your career, I would guess, where you've seen people build things on bad foundations, right? And what happens? The structure ends up sagging or drooping or, or, or maybe falls apart because it can't sustain. It doesn't have the strength to sustain what's to be built on top of it if that foundation isn't clear. It's the same way with faith. Without faith, our confidence, our hope will get tossed uh, away as easily as a trailer in a 150-mile-an-hour hurricane. Faith is the sure and strong foundation that gives us confidence or assurance concerning things that we hope for as believers. And what is hope? The word hope in verse 1 is not a word that just means wishful thinking. Lean in here, guys. This is so important to understand this. <laughs> or hoping against hope, like when someone says, do you think things will get better? And you, you answer despairingly, I sure hope so. Well, those who work with me <laughs> will tell you that one of my favorite sayings, and I say it probably more than I should, is that hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is a great topic, however, for a future study, Nick, <laughs> right? Because the wrong application of what people may consider hope can ruin lives. It can lead to a thinking of entitlement and foster codependency. I'm not going to go into that right now. I would love to. But the wrong application of hope, which isn't, that's not hope. That's wishing. I want things to be different, so I hope they will be different. They're only going to be different if something else is different that creates a cause for that to be different. In this passage, the word hope here is exactly the opposite word of despair. It is a word that means to wait for something with confidence and assurance. It is the hope of the psalmist who writes in Psalms 5.3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. Don't you just love that? I know God is hearing what I'm saying. And so I'm going to lay it out, and I am just going to wait with expectation. What faith. David is full of hope and confidence in God because he has become a man of faith as he brings his daily requests before the Lord. So how do we keep hope alive like that in our life? How do we keep our hope from being shaken? Hebrews 11.1 1 says that we need a strong 
foundation. You don't just pin your hopes up in the air and hope against hope that everything will turn out all right. That is not Christianity. Faith is the sure and strong foundation that gives you confidence and assurance that is needed. So that's the first part of our definition. Faith is being sure of what we hope for as a Christian. And then secondly, faith is being certain of what you do not see. The word that is translated certain here is a word that means evidence, proof, or conviction. It comes from a word that means to convict or convince someone of the truth. And so it speaks of a deep conviction of certainty in our heart. And then the word translated what in the phrase what you do not see, this is a word that means something that has been done or has been accomplished. It refers to matters or things that are factual, things that are real. We find the same word in Hebrews 6.18, which speaks of two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6.18 speaks of these two unchangeable things, that is two unalterable facts, two realities that cannot be changed. And we find that same word again in Hebrews 10.1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. That word reality is the same word we find here in Hebrews 11.1. So what does the second half of our two-part definition of faith teaches us? teach us? It teaches us that faith is a deep conviction in your heart concerning facts, certain facts or realities that we cannot see. It's not believing in something that may or not be there. It is understanding that we are rooted in the, although we can't see it, it's real. It is real. This is so important. True biblical faith is not faith in fantasies or in things that are not true, but faith in realities, which are unseen by human eyes. The New English Bible captures this thought perfectly with this translation. Faith makes us certain of realities we cannot see. And if you can see it, then it's not faith. There's two things that we need to grasp from this part of the definition. First of all, if you can see it, then it's not faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, we live by faith, not by sight. Faith and sight are opposites in that verse. So if you can see it, then it's not faith. Now you may see as your faith becomes reality. You may see certain things, but if you can already see something, then you have no faith. To, 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 if that, that's not biblical faith. Let me give you a few examples. If you could see God, then it would not take any faith to believe in him because you would actually see him. If you can see it, it's not faith. If I have an unexpected car repair of $500 and I have a uh, million dollars in discretionary funds in my checking account, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, let's just say you have a $500 repair need and you got a million dollars in your checking account. It doesn't take faith for me to pay that bill. Why? Because the money's already there. I can see it. And if I can see it, then I'm not really stepping out in faith. Or how about if God asks you to do something that you really, or, or that you already know how to do? That doesn't take a whole lot of faith, Right. But when God calls you to do something that is beyond your comfort level or beyond your ability, now we're talking faith again, because you are dealing with something you cannot see. Some of you may be there now, and I say to you, build that faith muscle, 
Build that faith muscle. Some of you may have never allowed yourself to be there. And what happens when we don't allow ourselves to be there in the exercise of our faith is we, we stay as spiritual babies. We stay as spiritual children. So the first thing we need to grasp from that part of the definition is if you can see it, then it's not faith. But here's the second part of this equation that's also so important for us to understand. And that is, if it's not real, then it's not faith. Or at least it's not true biblical faith. It may be blind faith or some other kind of faith, but it's certainly not what the Bible teaches us here or what the Bible means by faith. In other words, biblical faith is not being certain about non-realities that you cannot see, but only things which are actually true, which you cannot see. Let me give you another example. If I walk up to the counter at a supermarket and buy a lottery ticket, I wouldn't do that, by the way, but I don't judge people that do. And I hold that ticket in my hand and say to myself, I believe I'm going to win. I believe I'm going to hit the jackpot today. I can't see it. The odds are all against me, but that's okay. I live by faith and not by sight, and I'm certain I'm going to win. I have faith. Well, that's not biblical faith. I'm not basing my conviction on reality, but on a fantasy. It's like saying, I do believe in the tooth fairy. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I don't care how many times you say it. <laughs> I hope I'm not ruining this for anybody in the room. <laughs> There's no such thing as a tooth fairy. Saying it over and over again is not going to make them suddenly appear. Here's a very practical example right now here in this place at this time. For all of those Steeler fans out there, and I'm one, if you would believe that we actually have a good team, that is not real faith because it's not grounded in truth and reality. And if it's not real, then it's not true biblical faith. How about a person who believes sincerely in a false religion or worships an idol with a deep conviction in their heart? Is that biblical faith? It is not. Will that save them? No, it will not because it's not real. That is not true biblical faith. So taking the two parts of our definition, what is faith again? Faith is the foundation that gives strength to your hopes, and faith is a deep conviction in your heart concerning realities that you cannot see. Faith refers to both present and future realities that we cannot see. It's interesting, both parts of this definition speak of being sure of the things that we can't see. Did you notice that? The first part speaks about hope. Well, what is hope? Hope refers to the future realities that you cannot see. You can't see them because they're in the future. And the second part speaks of the present realities that you cannot see. You can't see them because they are spiritual realities and we live in a physical world. So faith refers to both present and future realities that we cannot see. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And finally, verse one gives us this two-part definition of faith. Now moving on to the verse two tells us this definition is important by applying it to the lives of the Old Testament believers and by extension to us. Verse two says this, this is what the ancients were recommended for. The word ancients here is the word for elders. It can simply mean those who are older than you. It can refer to elders in a position of leadership or authority in the church, or it can also mean forefathers. Here, it clearly refers to the forefathers of faith scattered across the pages of history found in the Old Testament. 
The stories in the Old Testament are not just historical accounts of things that happened back then in the past. They are that, but they are also so much more. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, these things occurred as examples for us. And just as the stories of the Old Testament are meant to serve as examples, so also are the people of the Old Testament to serve as examples. And you know, you'll notice that none of these examples in Hebrews 11, in none of these examples are these men or women commended for perfect character, but they are commended for their faith. What is this? When it says this is what the ancients were commended for, this, it's their faith. It's the deep conviction in their hearts to believe in unseen realities, both present and future. It is their conviction and assurance in God that produces in them an unshakable hope in God. And remember, hope in God, hope in, hope in. You have to ground hope in something. You can't simply hope for something. It has to be hope, it has to be grounded in. And here their hope was grounded in God and his promises. The word commended here basically means to give a good report. So it's a report card time for the Old Testament believers. Let's pull out the report cards and see how they did. When you look at the report cards of the Old Testament, you quickly discovered they didn't do so well in a whole lot of areas. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all failed miserably in the whole area of honesty. Moses flunked speech. (laughs) He didn't do very well in the temper department either. King David failed when it came to sexual purity. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, you don't find too many persons who receive straight A's when it comes to the report card of their lives. They all had so many failures and flaws, just like me and every one of us in this room. So why are they commended then? What is this good report that we read about in Hebrews 11? The good report is awarded to them in one area and one area only, the subject area of faith. This is what the ancients were commended for, not for living perfect lives. No, they were commended for their faith, for being sure of what they hoped for and certain of what they did not see. They believed God even when they could not see the answer, and their faith was credited to them as righteousness. Once again, the righteous will live by faith. And the rest of Hebrews 11 is simply a running commentary on these first two verses. And in the remaining verses of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews will take us through the whole Old Testament, starting with creation, demonstrating how all the Old Testament believers exercised true biblical faith and how that faith benefited their lives and the kingdom of God. Now, next week, as I said, Pastor Nick is going to lean into a little bit more of a few of these heroes of our faith. I wish him well, because <laughs> that could be a six-week study. But before I close, I want to talk to you just for a moment about one of these less known examples, and it's a man named Enoch. Enoch, this is what it says in Genesis. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's crazy. That's crazy stuff there. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. It's like one day he was, and one day he was not. God God took him. So this occurred, think about this. This is before the days of Noah, when the human lifespan was much, much longer. Methuselah, who Enoch fathered, was the oldest man recorded in 
in, the, in all of Scripture. I think it's like 969 or something crazy like that. I was talking to somebody the other day. There's another guy that was like 10 years short of that. Nobody knows who he is. He's like second. He gets no credit for anything. That guy lived like 959 years. But here's, here's I, just want, I just want you to get this mental picture of Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I, get, I have always had this mental picture of Enoch being a man that just was in constant conversation with God, that he was so close with God that every place, every place he walked, he was just talking to God, talking to God, talking to God. And that's what the scripture would suggest. It says Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. He walked with God. And I get this picture of Enoch's just walking along one day. He's talking to God. God extracts him. People are like, what happened to Enoch? <laughs> Like, I don't know, but Enoch's still walking. And I wonder today, is he still walking and talking to God? Just still having that conversation. That's the kind of faith that I want. That's the that's kind of desire that I want, that in every waking moment of my consciousness, when I can be focused on my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus, that's where, you know, that's where my heart would, would naturally lean. When nothing consumes your time, when you sit in the quietness or the stillness, if you get any stillness, where does your heart go? Does it go to the things of God? Does it go to a conversation with him or does it go somewhere else? And I think that's a great litmus test for us when we look at where we are in terms of the maturity of our faith, that when we're not engaged in specific activity or specific thought process around our work, whatever it is that we're doing, that we'll just have that time where it's just me and I'm sitting in that tree stand and yes, I'm looking for deer, but I wanna talk to God. To me, that is how we can understand truly what faith is. Because as we exercise our faith, I believe our faith, I call it our faith muscles. I think some of our faith muscles, guys, need a workout. Some of you might be sitting here today, and it's been a long time since you've really exercised your faith. Yeah, you know the answers. Yeah, you know the scriptures. Yes, you believe Jesus died for your sins, all that good stuff. But in terms of the power of living a life, that is, that is motivated and generated by being sold out for God and walking with God, maybe it's time for some of us to take a little bit more of that step out in faith. You know, faith is foundational to giving us strength, giving us hope, and faith is a deep conviction in our hearts concerning realities that we cannot see. I like this definition because I find it immensely practical. It means as I grow in my understanding of God and his ways, that I can train myself to trust these realities that I cannot see. We do this all the time in the physical world. I don't know exactly how my TV works, but I know if there's batteries in the remote and everything's working, I press the button, it, it turns on. I believe, when I click that button, I believe it's coming on. I've learned to trust that, right? Have we learned to trust God in the same way? As long as that TV's plugged in, it's working, right? How about with God? It's the same in the spiritual world. I can't see God, and I don't know how he is working all the time, but I do know that he's there. And the longer I know him and the more I grow to understand him, the more I can trust the realities of things that I cannot see. I can grow in my God faith, and so can you. So as I close this down, I just encourage our, our, our friends here at New Hope today, let's, let's pray together and just ask God to build 
our faith. Father, there's so much good stuff in Hebrews 11. We're only scratching the surface this morning, God. But you give us, you give us your word so that we can learn. You give us our, your word so that we can grow. And Father, that we can align our hearts in a way that honor you. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, Lord, that within our congregation, every single one of us, Lord, would open our hearts up to you, God, and just say, God, I want to grow in my faith. I want to exercise my faith. Lord, I want you to take me to that next step in my trust of you so that I can be empowered by faith that only comes by truly believing. And if there's somebody here this morning that has never taken that initial step of faith by placing their trust in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you wouldn't give them one second of comfort until they come and talk to Pastor Nick or me or one of the elders or one of their friends that they know is a believer so that they can get that settled because God, you can't build our faith if we don't first take that step of bringing Jesus into our lives, God. Father, at this time of the year, we just are so grateful for Jesus and how he came as a baby, but he left here as a conquering king and he reigns today, God. And Father, I pray that, that the power that he provides for us, we would take that seriously, Lord, and that we would lean into that. And God, that you would allow our hearts to be filled with all the goodness of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a 